0: on today's episode of content and conversation i'm inviting john eric de la cruz back to the podcast we're going to talk about seo stuff you should stop worrying about so to dive right in john I have talked to clients on occasion about Yoast or ClearScope. And on your side, I know tools like Google PageSpeed Insights come up a lot. A lot of these tools provide people with like a rating or some kind of score or maybe a red to green scale, like how good your SEO is. What do you typically tell people when they're using those tools?
1: As you mentioned, people like to get worked up about, are these tool ratings, scores, or measurements? As mentioned, those tools like Lighthouse, which is similar to PageSpeed, has some of the PageSpeed insights, but also has like SEO and accessibility. As you mentioned, Yoast and ClearScope, those things that will give your websites or written articles some sort of score from one to 10 out of 100 or some sort of color code, like red to green, as you just said. But an example is something like Lighthouse's SEO audit. It may give you a score of 100, but what exactly does that mean? If you look into it, maybe you put in a title tag. Nice job. You're going to rank number one now. But jokes aside, the score doesn't (laughs) really mean much. It doesn't consider your entire site and what you're trying to achieve as a business and rank for specifically. It doesn't look at every single page on your site. It's really just looking at that single page in some sort of vacuum and (laughs) providing that score that who knows what that score means.
0: When it comes to things like page speed insights or like I've run our client sites through certain Google tools, and it'll give me all these things about like JavaScript or and I'm probably like butchering the description because my technical knowledge is just not quite there as much. But when it's things like JavaScript errors or something like that, I've sometimes shipped those to developers for our clients and they'll come back and say like, oh, the CRO team needs this or something else. How do you balance like an error on the technical like dev side that Google is saying is a problem when in fact it may not be like, do you run into that a lot?
1: Yeah. So on page speed insights, or again, it's the same type of stuff in Lighthouse. Is it'll throw a bunch of errors saying that these types of third-party scripts are causing issues on your site. And you know, it's telling you to essentially remove them to fix the problem. But if you dive in a little bit, you'll see that maybe it's your Google Analytics, your CRO stuff that you're tracking, or any sort of on-page scripts that you use that your website relies on for any sort of user interaction, transaction, etc. And so those are things that Unless you know what the site and that business is working with, you can't just say, remove these items. And so, having that context of what is needed and what's not needed is taking that next step while looking at the same tool that's providing that information.
0: Another thing that I've advised clients on is changes in SERP features. And this is, of course, something that you should be aware of and be. Just on top of, but I don't think it's necessarily something worth worrying about. So, for example, let's say you're ranking number one for a query, and then you see a random month your organic traffic has dropped to that given post or page. And then when you go to that SERP, you see that some sort of Google feature, like a featured snippet, or people also ask box or image packs, the SERP looks completely different compared to the month before. And so the bad news is is that your traffic is likely gone until that SERP changes again. And it's very unlikely that Google is going to take away those features, maybe like move things around or reduce one or two things. So it kind of sucks to tell clients, yeah, that traffic is gone and gone forever. But is there anything that you advise clients on, John, when you're seeing those SERP features change?
1: Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, if there's a bunch of change everyone is facing that change on the SERPs. I'd say that there may be instances where you can benefit from the shift in SERPs if you take action. So maybe it's something like Video Carousel that is now owning the top of the SERP and you don't have a video for your article and it was originally doing well. That's a shift in search intent and Google's recognizing that, so you should also recognize that shift in search intent and provide some sort of video for that query or whatever you're trying to rank for there.
0: And then, John, the next thing that we've had to advise clients on for SEO is word count. What are you typically telling clients, especially if they come to us saying, I want a 1,000 word blog post, which is my biggest pet peeve?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so word count in general is not indicative of quality. They don't necessarily favor word count in a sense. And they've even outright said that is not a ranking factor. John Mueller said it several times, I'm sure. Twitter and on Google Webmaster conference hours. And so don't pay too much attention to hitting targets of a number of words per article. Some tools are guilty of pushing users in that direction. And just keep in mind that longer content does have a chance of providing better content and securing top rankings, but the number of words doesn't matter. You got to think about the intent that you're trying to solve for and that sometimes being succinct is better than a bunch of fluff.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of a video Ross recently came out with that was kind of about like structuring your content to secure a quick answer and it was all around, you know, if you can summarize the point of your article, like I think it was Credit Karma has a really cool like in a nutshell paragraph that appears right after the headline. It basically says like what they're about to read or learn. And so theoretically that article could be solved in like 50 words, but it's basically a nice summary and then a nice you know, 1,000 roughly word article underneath that goes into a lot more detail. And I do think we've created content that's only 500 words and it ranks for a given query. And then for that same client, the next query, we create a blog post that's 2,000 words. And again, we're not using word count as a metric that we're trying to achieve and communicate value to the client. It's what are the requirements for that keyword in order to get something ranking? Maybe sometimes it's not even a blog post. Maybe it is a video or you know, other elements of that content that you need to think about besides just the words on the page too.
1: Keyword density is a simple concept that shouldn't be paid too much attention to. Similar to word count, there are other things that are in that same realm of keyword density like TF, IDF, LSI keywords, and all of those different types of technical text analysis does go far beyond what you should be working on for your content. If you're looking at that stuff, you're missing the main point. You're still writing for bots, essentially, and you're not thinking of your users. And so again, just think about your audience and what their intent is.
0: That kind of gets back to actually our first point around tools and like ClearScope, for example, or similar keyword density tools. Something that can get frustrating sometimes with clients is that I've had to have conversations where it's like, okay, you, we want to target this word on credit cards. And so we need the word credit card 26 times in an article. And maybe our copywriter or content marketer has written this article and the word credit card is only in there 15 times. And it's like, really, is the difference between mentioning that keyword 15 times versus 25 or more going to make that much of a difference? Probably not. Another thing that I have to push back on clients with is looking at backlink domain authority. So we include an average domain authority in like our contracts and discussions with clients because we do want to ensure a level of quality from our content. So it's not just this post is going to earn X number of backlinks, but also an average of Y domain authority. But then we have some clients who like zone in on that domain authority average, and they'll start looking at their backlink list and focus on DA too much where, you know, the DA of a link, if it's 28 versus 32, is not really making much of a difference. And in fact, I don't even think it's like, unless you're making huge jumps, I'm thinking like a DA 40 versus a DA 80. I don't know if you agree, John, but like the DA difference, even as small as like a 10 amount move from like 40 to 50 to me doesn't indicate like a huge jump in site quality. So I don't know if you've had similar outcomes from like the technical SEO side there.
1: Yeah, I agree. Those swings and DA itself haven't noticed anything, you know, from a discrepancy of like 10, 20. It's more so that relevance of links and securing links that are relevant to your audience. And again, link scores like DA are third-party metrics. It is a Moz thing. It is not from Google. I repeat, it is not from Google. And some clients, you know, some people like to say, well, I need a high DA as if it's a Google ranking factor when they didn't even create it.
0: And so we just talked about external backlinks. From an internal linking perspective, how do you advise clients I've seen the mistake of I've looked at client websites and I'll look in their drop-down navigation and it's like 30 plus internal links in a drop-down nav. And when I ask them why that's happening, they'll say, well, it's because like all these pages are important. So we want Google to like prioritize all of them equally. So what are you typically telling clients if they're worried about that internal linking structure?
1: Yeah. So if we back up a little bit, internal links, an extremely valuable strategy that from your example, people take a little too far. Those clients are stating that you know, Google uses those internal links to understand the way the site is built, and they use those internal links to crawl the site as a whole. And so if you have orphan pages, they're not deemed important. If they're far from the homepage, also not important. And so that idea of maybe it's a homepage with 30 plus links in a super mega ultimate drop down menu or an uncomfortably long list of city-specific pages on a nav item. Those are things that can contribute to a poor user experience, which takes away from you know that core that Google is trying to solve for and that is providing a positive user experience in all ways possible.
0: When you get a client who says like all of these links are important, what are you showing them to try and convince them that they don't Still, all have to be there? Like, do you look at maybe like search volume and say, okay, if anything has really high search volume or really high keyword difficulty, put it in the nav and the other things can fall off? Or are there other criteria that you're thinking about?
1: If we have a client that doesn't know how to prioritize what should go in there, a lot of th- there's a lot of factors that go into what sh- should be put into your primary nav. First thing we'll consider is, you know, that. User journey, is it important to have a user land on that page? That's always something to consider. The search opportunity, right? So you have those keywords, search volume, difficulty, et cetera. Are those landing pages ones that we think can rank better than others? And it also depends on the overall context of the site and how it's already ranking. Do we wanna prioritize certain pages over others and then funnel them in a certain way? It's not just a specific answer. We have to consider the whole website and business as a whole before deciding what should go on the primary nav.
0: If you like this episode, don't forget to leave us a review.